delight to be joined by author, former Navy diver, shark attack survivor, activist, motivational speaker, uh, and now actor, Porter Gelder. <laughs> You're doing a lot of things, yeah. man. Yeah, it's, it's hard to keep track of it sometimes, but it's, it's such a cool adventure to be able to transition out of just being a military guy into yes. doing all of these other cool things. You know, I've got, um, I've got a business in California as well, house flipping business, and um, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. So I, I, I really enjoy that aspect of being free of the military yeah. and not having to um, confine myself to that and, and being, I guess, what the person that I feel like I, I need to be. Yeah. And how long was you in the Navy? Uh, so I was in the army first. I was yep. an army uh, airborne soldier for five years, um, yep. 2000, 2005, and then um, applied for the selection course to become a Navy clearance diver. Mm-hmm. And did that from 2005 to 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, got attacked by a bull shark and took six months off. Right, yeah, right. Which yeah, is, as you would. Yeah, you would. Lose a couple of limbs. You take a little time yeah. off, um, <laughs> but only six months. And then, and then I went back to work around um, August 20, 2009 and stayed in until about August 2012, so another three years. So in total, it's about 12 years in the military. Okay. Interestingly enough, so we're kind of new to this whole podcasting as well, so we're going to do our best to improvise, adapt, and overcome. But that leads me to uh, my first question, and that is your days out working at a strip club. Would you like to go into that? Or <laughs> How does this pertain to anything? Well, it's so being really funny. You know, I just wanted to start. I, just, I didn't believe it when I read it because you're such a regimented person. Oh man, I was nothing like a military person before I joined the military. To the point where, when I called my brothers, who were both in artillery, and asked them what they thought about me joining the army, they actually pissed themselves laughing. Um, so no, I was not a military person at all. Um, I was before that, even when I was I was living in Canberra, um, I was drinking and fighting and stealing and smoking weed and selling weed and doing coke and speed, you know, back at the club that I worked at, sniffing speed off the kegs. Um, I was a bit of a train wreck. Uh, and that's why I left Canberra. You know, I threw, threw everything into this car that I had no license for, headed off to the, the bright lights of Bris Vegas. Um, you know, the, the big smoke compared yeah. to, compared to <laughs> camera. Big city. Um, and yeah, and that's how I ended up working behind a bar in a strip club. My, my, one of my best friends, Matt, was the DJ there. Yeah. And he knew I needed to get out of campus, so he hooked me up, um, talked to the manager, got me a job behind the bar in a strip club, and that, that was the beginning of what I thought was my new life. Um, and who knew it would come back in? So guys, these guys are about to drop <laughs> a new series called Fighting Season, and... <laughs> Who knew it had come back to fruition of yeah, uh, really. the days in uh, stripping? Yeah, um, that tied in quite well. Yeah, well, you know, it's, I'm still it's, not. I'm, it's, I'm, it's, I'm gonna just resign myself to the fact that I learned nothing from those girls yep. because I I can't dance. Terrible stripper, <laughs> but at least we looked good. We looked pretty good. Look, and I, the editing was really good. It was great. They made us look really good, and obviously, um, Sunday, October twenty eighth at eight thirty. Uh, on Fox Showcase, but we'll be able to catch us there. Uh, you'll be playing Travis, I'll be playing Pepsi. Uh-huh. But I bring up the stripping question uh, because I, I'm referencing your, your 2011 book, No Time for Fear, mm-hmm. um, How a Shark Attack Survivor Beat the Odds. Um, and I just wanted to ask, was it the book and then the motivational speaking or was it the other way around? You started speaking and thought, well, I'm going to put this into a book. 
Um, oh, good question. Um, I think it was the book first. Okay. Um, and then the, the the book kind of fed, that was the stepping stone into speaking. Um, and I did have... I did have some requests to do some speaking before the book, mm-hmm. but the only thing I was more terrified of sharks was speaking. <laughs> so there was, I was no way. I'm not. No, thank you. I don't want to speak yeah. at anything. Um, I just wanted to get my job back and keep my job in the navy. That was my focus. Uh-huh. Uh, but then a, a group called Canteen, who we in Australia all have heard of, it's a yeah. cancer camp for children. They yeah. asked me to speak. And you just, you can't say no to kids with cancer. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. And I went along and did it, prepared a little speech and I just talked to this room of kids. There was probably you know, 20 kids there, if that. And I just went in there and I talked to them about my story and what it was like being in the military and things like that. And we had a good time. We laughed and I got to get some of this pain off of my chest that I didn't even realize that I was holding on to I didn't, I didn't realize I was carrying it um, and I didn't even at that point realize I was getting it off my chest all I knew was that I walked out of that room and for some reason I felt really good and I put it down to the fact that um, I just you know I got to help these kids forget that they were going back to a hospital or they've grown up in a hospital or they've got brain cancer they're gonna they're gonna die you know things like that that I walked out and I thought, oh, I made them laugh, I made them have a good time, and that felt good, but then I, I got asked to do more and more and more. I went from there, 30, 20 kids to 1,200 kids at my at my school in Canberra, and halfway through that one, I stopped, and I looked around, and there's 1,200 kids there with their mouths open, looking at me, and you could have heard a pin drop. Wow. And it was just this, not a sense of power, but a sense that I was moulding these these children with my words and with my story and I could help shape their minds and shape their future actions so that perhaps they wouldn't go through some of the pain that I did when I was a teenager because I had a really tough time growing up Uh, and so I just I just hoped that I could help them perhaps understand that they're not alone if they are going through something like that, then they, they need to share it either with their friends or with their family or even an, an outside source and, 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 and also show them that through that pain you can you can overcome yeah. and you can still do amazing things with your life, even though sometimes life sucks really bad. Yeah. And I mean it ties in really well with Imperfectly Perfect campaign because essentially I was saying to Julian last week, so the stigma against mental health issues is already there with the older generation. So if we can utilize people like self-public profiles, celebrities that can actually go into schools and actually utilize their skills, yeah. these kids, like you were saying, you're putting into their minds that it's actually okay to open up. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was speaking with Julian um, and a clinical psychologist and he was saying the way that you're doing it and utilizing media for the good using celebrities and using a visual medium, it's really gonna start ingraining the change. Because we can't change how old people think. No pun to old people there, but the older generation, we already know that there's a stigma there, but if we can shape the way younger generations look at how to deal with, with stress. I mean, through all those years, did you go through a lot, a lot of mental health issues yourself? Um, through, through being a teenager? Yeah. Uh, yes, but I didn't really look at them as, as mental health issues. I didn't, you know, I didn't identify that it was depression. I just 
hated life. Right. That was it. That was all yeah. there was to it. Fucking hated life. Um, I, I did not not want to be around my, my parents, my, my family. I didn't want to be at school. I hated the discipline. I just felt like I was absolutely helpless and I had no control over anything. And so the only control that I had was to cut myself with this blunt hobby knife that I had. And right. I used to slash up my arms and feeling the blood running down my arms felt powerful for me. Yeah. Because that, that was all I could control. And, and no one really even knew about it. I, I covered it up really well. Wall on sleeve, wash the blood away and all that stuff. Um, and so that was, that was quite a hard period of my life. And it, it flowed onto other things in that I stopped cutting myself, but I went down uh, another track where I was drinking and I was smoking weed and I was fighting in the streets and I was just going down into a very dark place mm. for a long time. Uh, and I didn't, still didn't identify this as a mental health issue or anything yeah. like that. I was just, you know, I was just striking out on my own. I'm yeah. you know, doing whatever the hell I want because, you know, I'm rebelling against the system. I was listening to a lot of rap music. Uh, <laughs> you listen to enough yeah. Dr. Dre and NWA and all of that stuff. Now, you know, I don't, you know, they just say music doesn't, um, you know, death metal and rap, it doesn't influence you, but it, it, it absolutely does. Yeah. Especially when you're in that mindset. Exactly, yeah. yeah. You want, you're rebelling against the system and, you know, it, it, it was not a great place for me, but I'm, I'm very thankful that I found a way out of that, that, you know, the, the, the groundwork and the foundations that my parents laid in me yeah. and the support that I found th through some of my closest friends that eventually rose to the surface. Yeah. And I realized that I have a choice here. Um, I made many mistakes along the way and did some very terrible things. But now in my later life, I get to make up for that. I get to make amends now. Uh, I'm a huge believer, believer in the, you know, the power of karma or the universe rebounding the goodness that you, you provide to the world. So um, I get to do, I feel like I'm in surplus now. You know, I, I feel like I've not only just made up for all the shit that I've done, now when I do good things, it actually is being repaid to me as well because uh, I've, I've made a difference in so many other people's lives. And that, for me, just that yeah. is reward enough to know through social media there's people that write to me and, and tell me how much of a difference the book makes or the speaking makes or just like as we were talking over in the current way, you're yeah. living by example. Yeah. You, you don't have to be a victim to your circumstances. Yeah. You, know, you can be a survivor of them. Well, that's that's actually an interesting thing because so obviously 2011 the book comes out. 2012, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, uh, you you finished uh, your active duty no. for yeah. the military. Yeah. So it's almost like you know from that year onwards you kind of started a new course of life. You know when you were part of the defence force, you were out there defending our rights and thank you for your service. Um, I know I speak for everyone here, um, but it, it seemed like you kind of, you know, you, you went to the other end. It, you know, you didn't have the uniform anymore, but you still went out. And in 2014, 15, 16, and even last year, you've been out for Shark Week on the Discovery Channel, canvassing for the rights of sharks. Do you yeah. want to talk about your relationship with, um, with, with the ocean and particularly sharks? Yeah, sure. Um, the, um, the, the thing that the military did for me the most out of everything was to teach me about being of service. Uh, feeling like you have purpose and you're of value 
gives you a reason for being. Yeah. And that's what the military did for me. They made me feel, you know, when I put on that uniform and I was a soldier and my maroon beret, the symbol of paratroopers around the world, I felt like I was a part of something special. Mm-hmm. And when you feel that way, you, you, you don't suffer internally as much. Um, and so I had a purpose. I was like, okay, I'm learning to be a better soldier. I, I'm, I'm training to go to East Timor and protect these people that are being killed. I'm training for the next mission. And so what that did was it, it, it flowed over into when I left the military because when I got attacked by the shark and I was looking down the barrel of losing my whole career, that terrified me so much not because, not as much about losing my limbs, but more so about losing my purpose in life and lo- losing that sense that I am of value to something mm-hmm. because then I wouldn't know how I would go on with life. Yeah. And so that was why I fought so hard to, to get back to work as soon as possible, fought to get off the drugs as quick as possible. And then when I got to a point in working at the Navy Dive School for three years where I was just killing myself, just running myself into the ground 70, 80 hour weeks and then I go and do a speaking job and they pay me my, my two weeks Navy wage in one hour. Wow. wow. But the Navy wouldn't give <laughs> yeah. me leave. Oh wow. And so I did a few and ran out of leave and I came to that, that crossroads what do I do? Do I bust my ass? At this point I'm starting to lose my job satisfaction. I'm yeah. so tired so cranky, I'm worn down, I'm getting injuries, I'm drinking more. Do I keep going down this path, which is my security blanket, I've got a, a guaranteed paycheck and purpose, or do I make a big scary decision, leave that security blanket and, and strike out trying to find greater purpose and not work as much because I'm getting paid better. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I've made so many of those big scary decisions in the past, like, you know, uh, getting kicked out of home, well, that wasn't really a choice, but yeah. it was a stepping stone along the way. Le- yeah. Leaving Canberra, moving to Brisbane, leaving Brisbane, joining the army, leaving the army, jo- trying out for the Navy Clearance Dive was one of the most elite groups in all of the Australian military. Yeah. All of those big, scary decisions helped me propel me into the life that I had. And so now, these big, scary decisions that a lot of people up and are about for so long and perhaps let them pass them by or they're too yeah. afraid to take them. Those are the ones that I'm like, yeah, yeah, hell yeah, let's do that. You know, that Discovery Channel comes to me and says, would you like to move to America and, and have a contract with us and do host Shark Week shows for two years? Hell yeah. I don't even think about it anymore. That is terrifying. Of course I want to do it. Yeah. Do you want to swim with great white sharks without a cage? That is so scary. Of course I want to do it. Yeah. And my life and the experiences that I have throughout my life and through this new career yeah. are things that I could never have dreamed of doing. Yeah. I literally walk in the footsteps of my heroes. Yeah. Steve Irwin, Albie Mangles, uh, Ron and Valerie Taylor, David Attenborough, you know, these are the people we grow up yeah. goggle-eyed at the TV going, this is amazing. And now I get to do that because I made the choice to embrace those big, scary decisions. Right. It's, it's, it's such a learning process, you know. You're going through life and going through these struggles and stuff and it every time you go through that struggle and you go through that hardship, never, never just go through and go, oh my God, thank God that's over and then just keep flowing along at the same pace. Sit down and ask yourself some hard questions. No, not hypothetical questions, but answer your own questions. What did I learn from that? Yeah. yeah. Why, how did I find myself in that position? How can I not do that again? What, where can I, how can I improve 
myself and my situation by what I learned from what I just went through. Yeah. Okay? That's, that's the purpose of those hardships we go through. People think they're just random and they're, you're a victim and bad shit happens to everyone and yeah. life sucks. No, it's a lesson. It's a journey. You know, everyone's journey is going to be different, but the lessons we learn along the way, they're, they're going to turn us into the person that we're supposed to be if we embrace that. So that leads me into a question. So if you could write a letter to your teenage years when you was going through mm -hmm. all this, mm -hmm. now, what advice would you give to yourself? Stop if somebody else being out there a cunt. <laughs> I don't know if you can put that on there. Stop being a Paul, stop being a prick. Um, <laughs> It, it'd be a long letter. Yeah. Let's put it that way. It yeah. wouldn't be long. It, it would be all about you're not, you're not alone. Yeah. You don't have to suffer like this. Yeah. School is not that hard. Just pay attention. I know you're not sleeping. Work out why you're not sleeping. Sleep better. You'll feel better the next day. Yeah. You know, there, there was a lot of things that I found out later in life I have sleep apnea. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't sleep well. Yeah. And so now I know why during school... I was falling asleep in class the whole time. It wasn't entirely my fault. It was yeah. because I was so tired. I could not, I couldn't keep my eyes open. I couldn't concentrate. Yeah. I was angry all the time because I was so tired. And later in life, I identified that and I, I fixed it. Well, I mean, you can't, I haven't fixed sleep apnea, yeah, but I, I, I found a way to yeah. treat it. Yeah. So now I sleep with this thing called a mandibular advancement splint. Uh, and this is, this is, a, a huge factor in so many people's lives. Yeah. The fact that they may have sleep apnea yeah. and they don't even know. So what happens is you get, you know, you might think you're getting eight hours sleep and you might get three hours sleep. Yeah. And you're living off that every day, choking yourself awake wow. 20 times a minute. What? You know, 40 times an hour sometimes, or whatever it is. And you are, you are not getting that rest. Mm. Your brain is not recovering. Your body is not recovering. And... You're tired, you're cranky, you can't concentrate, you're not learning, you're yeah. not doing well at your job, you're not happy in your relationship, all stemming from the fact that you're not sleeping well. Wow. It is such an important thing. So it's all about getting that rest and Get you know, that rest taking on the next day. Yeah, well, exactly. It seems like, you know, it's almost a good metaphor. You know, you've got to go through those periods of downtime and you've got to find, find time where, you know, things aren't great, you're not go, 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 go. You've got to stop. In your case, what we're talking about, it's at least eight hours through the night. But one thing I wanted to ask you about, and one thing that pertains to the campaign as it is, is how do you deal with downtime? How do you deal when you've kind of just got, well, and I know you've got a very busy schedule, but how do you deal when maybe there's, there's nothing to do? It's hard. Yeah, it's hard. It really is. And it was easy when I was in the army yeah. because you treasure that downtime so much because it's, it's like, finally I get to stop. And you know what I did? a book out of my ammo pouch and I read. Wow. And that, that was what helped me escape from maybe the shitty situation that I was in in the army in the bush or in the jungle or wherever and I would just escape reality and I would, I would read this book yeah. and reading is so important. And every smart person in the world, every billionaire will tell you how important it is to read. Yeah. And so I read. I read a lot. Um, I, I haven't had the opportunity lately because I have just been so busy and I don't have so much to organise, not just work-wise, but just life-wise, trying to get my visas for America and then going to the gym and having meetings about Shark Week shows and things like that. But I have this pile of books that are, are just waiting in the pews for me to be able to crack into them and read them. So that's, that's how I deal with um, 
quite fun. I, I try and do a little bit of um, not self help, but um, self it's self healing. Yeah, you know? taking that time out to maybe just escape into a story and just relax your body, relax your mind. Yeah, you know? it's it's extremely healthy. Well, actually, just on that. Another thing that I can sense that you love to do and knowing you personally, I see you do it, is embracing the challenge of putting yourself out of your comfort zone. So when you were on set fighting season, uh, it, was a, it, it was funny for me seeing someone like you who is just such a champion of pretty much everything you do be put in a position where you hadn't done this before and you were so far out of your comfort zone. Do you want to talk about your experience on fighting season? Did I tell you about the audition I did? No. Okay, so I, I got asked to do the audition, and obviously this is a big scary decision, and I'm like, that's terrifying, of course I want to do it. Yeah. So, <laughs> can you come in and do an audition? I'm like, yes, of course I can. <laughs> and so, and by this point, you know, I've done a, a bunch of Shark Week shows, um, I've, I've hosted a show for Nat Geo going to Africa, hunting poachers. I'm very much yeah. you know, loud and yeah, I'm doing very Steve Irwinish. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because I just get excited, I'm like, yeah, well, yeah. kill the poachers. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I went in to do my audition and that overflowed into my audition and I was I just went full Steve Irwin I didn't know how else to do it and they just looked at me and said Paul Paul bring it down <laughs> it's like, oh, right. and so I brought it down and they been like bring it down bring it down <laughs> and so it was, uh, it was a learning experience just in that and then they were like we, we love your personality we love you as a person Personally, I think they just couldn't find another yep. person that had a prosthetic leg that no one could pull off a strip show. You're a liar. Um, we all have, everyone absolutely loves you. So, guys, I'm going to spring two toes. Um, tell the guys out there all about fighting season. Who do you play? What's your character? Um, well, I'll jump on first. Yeah. Just to say you a good time. Um, so, I play Corporal Pepsi. Um, Peter Pepsi Bird, but everyone calls him Pepsi as his nickname. And he's a real thrill junkie, you know. He um, he just love what he loves about the military is is the brotherhood, you know. It's what you were talking about. It's the purpose, yeah. You know, and it and, and it's being out there with your mates, you know. And, and but yet you're you're representing your country, you know. You're representing what you stand for, you know, the philosophy that you stand for. So you know, he's put in a really interesting position when you know you come back, and as the tagline for the show is, you know, the fighting doesn't stop, you know, when the guns do. You know, you, you come back, and and he's. You know, he's kind of a fish out of water yeah. in, in the civilian world. Mm. Um, he has to find a way to kind of navigate things like how to pay rent, you know. So he goes to quite extreme lengths, you know. Yeah, just, just to some serious demons, doesn't he? He does. He, I think he actually has to deal with stuff properly, you know, because he's not he's not out there risking his life. You know, he, he's actually here where everything's safe. And it's That's something that a lot of people, a lot of civilians don't understand that, that you you did really well in that role was that um, people don't understand that when you're deployed or when you're at war or something like that, it, it's actually quite simple mm. because you don't have to do any of those other things. Like you don't have to go to the post office and pay your bills and pay your rent and get car rego and pay the insurance and look after the kids. You don't have to do any of that shit. All you got to do is look after your weapons and look after your mates. It's yeah. so simple. And that's why a lot of times people, when they come home, all they want to do is go back. Mm-hmm. You know, and you, you portray that really well and it's, it's amazing that you've got that mindset well I mean it helped having you around it helped having someone who, who had actually embodied it and lived it and obviously we had our training um, in, in pre-production you know with, with 
with the soldiers who were you know, uh, nice enough to work with us. But I actually, um, I want to know a bit about Travis. Because I know Travis the character, and obviously people are going to go who know and fall in love with Travis when they watch the show, but can you tell us a bit about the character that you play? He's, he's really not that far away from me. Okay. You know, it's, it's really not. Like, it's it's almost a uh, an amalgamation of who I was before the military yeah. and, and who I am now. Right. Um, in the way that you know, he was all he was all about the boys. Yeah. You know, he's a, he's a soldier at heart. He loves doing it. Um, loves serving his country. Found a sense of purpose out of it. But then on deployment, got injured, uh, got blown up, and lost his leg and his hand. And he came back to a, a military that didn't so much feel that they um, owed him anything for it. You know, he was stuck in this limbo of what what's going to happen to me now? Fighting to stay in the army that he loved and, and spending time with his mates, or, or the army just saying "see you later" and giving him a golden handshake and getting rid of you. And so he's he's kind of lost in that space and he's self medicating for some of the pain that he has. Um, but at the same time, it, it, he hasn't become a victim to it. He's, no. he's still, um, he, he still understands what he needs to do to maintain his, his soldier-esque, um, I don't know, sensibilities. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, he, he's a good guy, loves his mates, loves his job, and, and just wants to be allowed to do that. I love it. I love it. And obviously people will be able to watch that on, on Foxtel. Fox Showcase, um, Sunday, October 28th. Well, we know that you like to forge ahead and we know that you like to get things done and we know that you're obviously in a hurry to get to something, probably a million things for the rest of the day. So I'm going to give you a, a, an opportunity now. Uh, one final thing. I just want to know what's next for Paul together. Where are you heading? Uh, my... Back to, back to the <laughs> You know, and, and, and it comes a time when it all has to come full circle. Um, Magic makes <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I want to do that again. That was hard. And, yeah. Like, yeah. All that cardio. Things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, my contract with Discovery Channel just got renewed for another two years. Yeah, uh, so I'm, I'm going to be doing another three Shark Week shows a year. I have a, uh, a, a sizzle reel in Animal Planet that we shot out Rhode Island swimming with sharks to um, hopefully have my own uh, wildlife slash adventure show on Animal Planet. Uh, so hopefully hopefully that comes through. Oh, it's about the green light. We'll be off uh, and running, like diving mysteries around the world and exploring unknown sites and just having adventure and sharing it with everyone around. Um, and um, you know what? I'd love to do more acting. And I had such a good time. You guys gave me such a great experience um, and, and lifelong friendships as well. So it uh, it made me realise the more I learn about acting, the more there is to learn, the more it, there's so much more to it. Um, so that is something I'd really like to do. It was a very cool experience. Beautiful. Well, on, on behalf of Imperfectly Perfect and Glenn and, and myself, thank you. Thanks for giving us your time. And the shots are incredible. People will be able to see them. But... Thanks, mate. Personal thank you to you. Thanks for being a mate. Yeah, of course. Legend. Cheers, mate. Awesome, mate.